0: So welcome to another episode of Role for Enterprise. Uh, As ever, I'm joined by Zach and Mike. Uh, This week, we want to start by talking about some of the failure models of AI and machine learning, especially where those impact the real world, because it's all very well talking about these things in theory, but when they start affecting real people's lives and leading to people getting arrested and potentially consequences of that type then you have to start taking your ethics a lot more seriously. And that's exactly what happened in a recent news story, where for the first time, at least as far as I'm aware, we actually got to the point of someone getting arrested on the basis of a facial recognition match. And the problem there is not necessarily just about the technical failure, although that's bad enough, but it's the process that it was embedded in. According to the news reports, as soon as the guy was in the police station and showed the arresting officers a printout of his face held up by his own face, everyone was able to see very quickly that he was simply not the suspect's but by this point, he'd already been arrested at gunpoint in front of his family and his children and were now traumatized. And the process simply had not accounted for the possibility of failure in this component. And there are all sorts of subsidiary topics that we can go into. The gentleman in question is African-American. And there are all sorts of stories and reports of facial recognition models having poor recognition uh, accuracy uh, for minority populations, simply because they have learned from the data, the training data that they've been given, which does not adequately represent uh, all of these populations. And this is an ongoing problem with AI and machine learning that Zach, you and I always used to talk about also in uh, our previous lives. So maybe you also have some thoughts here.
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. Thanks, Dominic. Yeah. With anything, we need more data to model. And so I think that's going to be part of it. You know, we talk about... um, you know, uh, China leading the way in this, to be quite honest, but we, we, you need data to model things correctly. You and I know this, Dominic, the more data we have, the more accuracy. I, I don't think the answer is to say, hey, look, this doesn't work. Let's just go away. We don't need AI because then we, we, you know, we're you already behind, I believe, in the US, at least in this race. Uh, so I think the thing is, it, and by the way, there is an ethical uh, piece of this. And we talked about that in a previous podcast. And I, I believe that we have to address that sooner than later, without a doubt. But, the, you know, a lot of this isn't going away. So we have to figure out, OK, how do we, you know, how can we uh, address this? And, you know, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, the accuracy with humans is is probably far worse <laughs> than it is with AI. So what happened to this gentleman is absolutely wrong uh, should not have happened, uh, but perhaps there's uh, more around, uh, you know, more talk around data modeling, more data. Uh, how can we, you know, go ahead and uh, and address this now and get in front of the curve? But um, uh, yeah, I'm curious, Mike, on your thoughts.
2: You, you know, this is potentially technology moving too fast, right? I mean, it's like, it's like the, the typical Silicon Valley, like move fast and break things. And, you know, this is something that comes to market. And, you know, if we think back years ago, no one would trust the technology, right? I, I think there's an old story about an, an IBM system that predicted an election early on when the first uh, the first supercomputer started coming out, and no one wanted to announce it because it sounded so crazy. The results, but IBM the, the IBM supercomputer got it right, you know. And no one trusts the technology now. Now we're at the point where people trust technology more than more than people, more than right. So so everybody trusts kind of the data and everything underlying. But if you you have a poor data set. And you haven't had people verify that, I think you get into problems, and that's what we're seeing now, right All these problems are are, are creeping up so you, you see a couple of things happening right they you know Azure and and AWS have basically commoditized all this facial recognition technology, so people are using it and then we have a proliferation of cameras everywhere. Uh, which are basically taking pictures, they could be granular, they could not, they can be like, really poor quality. And then you you put those two together, and you just have this like perfect storm. And now what you see is everybody's can, kind of pulling back from this technology and saying like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't make, you know, law enforcement use it. But I think the problem is it's it's out there and people are using it. So it's only going to get going to get worse before it gets better, at least in my opinion. Interesting to hear what you guys think about that.
0: Yeah, I think at one level, it's the classic problem that uh, people outside the IT world sometimes have more trust and more belief in technology than people on the inside who know uh, exactly all the hacks and shortcuts and weird hard coded constants (laughs) make the whole thing work. Uh, And so this could be a case like that that there's a a facial recognition model that works well enough to give a demo and say, hey, ship it. That's the the IT attitude, Um, but without considering these very real real world consequences. Uh, And then on top of that, there's a more specific issue related to AI and ML. When you're training it on historical data, you have to make sure that the model is learning what you think it's learning. Uh, And there's um, a very fun series where someone was trying to teach an ML model uh, how to walk or bipedal locomotion. Uh, And the thing came up with all sorts of crazy solutions Uh, that would build itself into a huge tower and just toppled forward, but the tower was tall enough that the, in toppling one step, so to speak, it would get itself past the finish line. Or it figured out how to crash the actual model itself by hurling itself violently against the floor, uh, all sorts of things like that. Um, and now that's kind of humorous when you read about it. It's kind of a joke, ha ha, how funny the, the silly robot. Um, and it's all fun and games until someone's getting arrested or potentially even worse, and uh, this triggers an altercation and maybe someone gets shot. So I think it's worth having that uh, that conversation early about whether this technology is ready to be used in these domains a, a little bit more fraught uh, than the lab or the, the academic research paper. But speaking of fun demos, moving completely off to a different topic, uh, this was also the week of Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference, WWDC, uh, as it's called. And as usual, there were all sorts of things that were announced. I already have the preview release of the new Safari with all of the new privacy protections, which is very interesting and somewhat scary to see in operation, just as you realize quite how much has been going on under the covers. Potentially more long-term change is Apple's switch to ARM technology. So, of course, they've been using their own designs based on ARM um, patents for quite some time in the iPads and the iPhone. And they've got pretty good and the benchmarks were getting pretty good. Just at the same time, Intel was failing, was uh, failing to deliver new chips and had very poor performance per watt, especially compared to these amazing A-series chips that Apple was putting in its in its own devices. So this was probably only a question of time before Apple came out with something like that. I think it's interesting that they've pulled the trigger on this, not so much for the the new amazing Apple machines that will get out of it, no doubt, but for the wider ARM ecosystem that will also get out of it. What do you guys think?
1: yeah I, I think the announcement was interesting. It's two years in the making, so you know they announced a couple of years ago and uh i think I think there's much more at play here. I think a couple of things um intel like some big vendors w- was slow to move you know they went from six month cycles to year year plus cycles so you know, you have if you're Apple and you have a lot uh, you, you want to do, especially around health technology, that's really where they want to focus as well. You know, those cycles don't work for you. And I th- felt like it was limiting Apple. And we talk about ARM. I think one of the most important things we have to remember with ARM is, is the power consumption is, is much lower. And this is where Intel dropped the ball as well. I mean, last year they finally released a low power Intel chip. So when you look at IoT, you know, Arm is really dominated there because of the power consumption, the power savings. And we think about what's holding us back in a lot of this technology, whether it's drones, whether it's uh, class five autonomous vehicles, it's power. It's, it's all comes down to power. I'm not saying that this was based on power, but what I am saying is, you know, these chips are more powerful. It gives Apple the ability now and the freedom to go ahead and you know, work on their timetable, right? And the features they want to release. I think there's much more to this than we realize. Now we're probably a year away from, a, you know, from, a, from some Apple uh, MacBook Pros coming out with this, with this new chip. But I think um, we'd be fools to think that this is just an innocent, hey, we're just going to go to ARM because it saves us a few dollars. I think it's, uh, it opens up a lot of potential for Apple that uh, we're not really thinking about. And you're right about ARM. ARM is uh you know, a lot of the uh, the cloud providers are, are leveraging ARM in their data centers and there's a lot of benefits uh, to this ARM architecture. Uh, Mike, your thoughts?
2: You, you know, when I first had the announcement, I was like, why do I care? Like, uh, to be honest, I mean, I, I, I don't really care. I mean, performance is going to be the same. I, I don't need it uh, until I realized the power savings, right? So so I, I think for me, it's like, hey, wait a second, the battery on my device is going to last longer. And, and then if you, if you think about that kind of in, in every area, I think that's where uh, it is for me the changer. What I don't understand, maybe you guys can help me understand this, is like they're starting to say that, hey, now we'll be able to run like you know uh, iPad apps or iPhone apps on 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 a Mac. And I'm like, oh, how how does that work? I'm I'm not really sure. But to be honest, I I don't know that I really care about what chip they're going to use, right? I mean, it's just. It's just a chip to me, as long as everything works. But I guess that there's a there's a serious redesign of apps and to your life cycle to to make this happen across all their devices is is what I hear. So wh- where do you guys see? I mean the the biggest the biggest difference because I don't know that I care again. I
0: think you've made two very valid points there. So one is absolutely the battery consumption is far more important than anything else, especially the first generation of devices. I think they'll be shooting for parity in terms of uh, performance with the, the existing Intel devices, but with much better battery life. So the, the A-series devices, I have an iPad Pro, Uh, That thing will run for 10 hours, and that's 10 real hours of me using it nonstop on a transatlantic flight. Uh, I'll be reading text, and I'll be watching movies, and I'll be drawing stuff with my Apple Pencil. Uh, I'll be running that thing pretty hard. And it will run. It'll land, and it's still it's still on. You cannot do that with a MacBook. If you're very good and you're very careful with what you run and maximum power savings mode, you get four hours ish, maybe. If you start exercising it, exercising the power of that device, you get a couple of hours realistically, real world.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's more than just power. I think that's part of it, but I think it's also, you know, what is the new supercomputer that overtook? Um, Uh, you know, the world's, you know, fastest supercomputer is based on ARM. I think it's more than that. I think it's the uh, computing capabilities. Like I said, I think there's much more that Apple's going to be doing going forward than just producing, you know, MacBooks that are more powerful, that have, you know, more, have better power. I think you're right. The power is big, but why is that big? And I think that's what Apple's, I think they're working on some interesting things and and they have the freedom and the flexibility to do that. I think the bigger story here is I think they accounted for what, five or 8% of, of Intel's, uh, you know, um, chips at uh, revenue, right? So I think that's going to be really interesting. And, and you really have to question, you know, who would have thought five years ago that Intel wouldn't wouldn't be the leader? I mean, there was a while there, what, a year, year and a half ago where they were, you know, they were passed by ARM. And look at AMD. I mean, the other part of this is what AMD is doing to Intel. So I think you know, at a macro view, I think, you know, this is kind of a demonstration of these big vendors and what happens, right? When you get, when you get slow, we think about IBM, Mike, you can talk to IBM, right? When you can't pivot and and you miss the market a little bit, because there's no doubt that Intel missed the market. They missed the, the, the pivot here. Somebody had their eye off the ball or they, they put their focus in the wrong place. But I, I just go back to, I think it's more than just power. I think there's, there's, Uh, much bigger things at play here
2: do the really the smart people really want to work at intel now with everything that's happening you know that's that's hard to see i think if you look at intel they missed mobile now you're missing this i mean how, how do you how do you recover and i think um I think the heydays at Intel have, have gone. I mean, if you want a real chip leader, I think I would look no further than NVIDIA, right? What they've done with GPUs, where GPUs are proliferating everywhere. So there's a lot happening there.
0: And Apple themselves. I mean, we, we say ARM, but the devices that Apple puts out have significant Apple IP in them. I think their chip design team is definitely world-class, definitely way out there. NVIDIA, I agree, has been doing some amazing work as well. But as you say, Intel is nowhere. If you're a smart chip designer these days, I would not be your first.
2: You think Apple will start selling their chips to other companies? I mean, they've they've built a serious business around that. That's not the Apple way.
0: (laughs) They (laughs) want everything for themselves. But that's a key point. Talking about the Apple way and the transition you mentioned, Mike, it'll take a while. Apple has done this before. Let's not forget. So the first Mac I had had a Motorola 68K chip in it, and Apple migrated off of that when Motorola wasn't able to deliver the performance they needed, and they went to PowerPC which was the alliance with IBM. And then when IBM couldn't deliver the performance, then they switched to Intel. And so this is a third switch for them. They're now pretty practiced. They're pretty effective. They know what to do in terms of both the technology and the process, how to support their developers. They're explicitly linked to that because they called the supporting technologies uh, Universal 2 and Rosetta 2, as that's calling back to the supporting tech they had for the last big chip migration. It won't be you know throw the switch and all of your apps work, but I'm also pretty certain it'll be an overall, a pretty smooth process, that migration.
1: Yeah. I want to say something on NVIDIA. That's interesting. You bring them up. I think they're in a precarious spot too. I mean, they, you know, they've got their GPUs, which are dual purpose. And because of that, they're, they're costly because they are used for displays as well as their GPU functions. You look at the TPUs, the Tensor Processing Flow Units now from Amazon and Google that are just, uh, you know, a fourth of the price. So, you know, they're another one that uh, they're on top today, but will they, will they stay on top? You know, is that possible? And I think this goes back to what you said, Mike, these large vendors, and it's not just in this space, it's in the networking space, it's in the software space. Uh, you know, Dominic, you work for, you know, uh, uh, not a startup, but you know, you work for a um, a very nimble company, right? One that can pivot and compete against these big guys. And so, you know what I mean as well. It, it's, uh, I think it's a sign. I see this in the networking space, for example, with these large vendors and they, they come out and they, they, they swing and miss badly. Right. And, uh, I think, I think businesses don't have time anymore. Maybe 10 years ago. Um, I'm not, I won't pick on Cisco, but I'll, I'll talk about the CS. You know, they came out with the CS since we're talking about the iPad and said, Hey, look, we got this CS tablet we're going to do this, this, and this. And okay. You swung and you missed. Right. And a lot of businesses bought into this and that's different today. I don't think companies can swing and miss today. So, uh, I, I guess a question really for both you guys, you can wrap this up, but, uh, You know, Mike, Dominic.
2: I think the business cycle has gotten a lot shorter, right? So, so time to market is critical. And once you capture that market share, you need that escape velocity to make sure no one catches up. And I think, you know, the only way to catch up is if you have that startup mentality, whereas these big companies, for them to catch up, it's going to take monumental. I mean, they got to aim four or five years ahead of it just to catch up and be and be considered then. So Intel, yeah, they got a wave. I think it's going to take them quite a while to catch up. Dominic, what were you going to say?
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And going back to something Zach said, Apple is, you know, it's a significant fraction of Intel's market, but Intel could weather losing just Apple. Uh, I think it gets interesting when you think of what other changes will be enabled by this move on Apple's part, just beyond the the Apple, the Mac OS, the, the iPad market, but talking about the wider cloud market. So we've had, in the same way that we talked about NVIDIA CPUs versus TPUs hosted in the cloud, we've had ARM CPU options for a couple of years out there. Uh, most of the big providers have an ARM CPU option. I think it's fair to say they haven't had huge uptake yet. There are some big users, but given the performance that uh, these things offer, they haven't had quite the sort of uptake that you might ordinarily expect. And I think part of that is the developers just feel more comfortable knowing that they can write something locally that's running on an x86 platform and upload it to the cloud where it will run on an x86 platform and they have that end-to-end confidence. If they have, uh, if they still have an in-house data center or Colo or whatever, that's probably got a whole bunch of Intel x86 chips in it as well. And so there's just this whole ecosystem around that. And until today, there wasn't really an obvious way to run an ARM device locally for development work. Users had them, we all have them in our pockets, but not for development work. And so I think this move by Apple is more significant once we start to get the MacBook Pros into the hands of developers with uh, Apple Silicon inside them. And those developers start thinking much more seriously about maybe using those ARM chips in the cloud as well, which don't have to worry about battery life, but you're maybe getting better IOPS, you're getting better performance in other dimensions that uh, that you care about. And so that's going going to enable that. And that's something that I also see at work. One of the advantages that we have over some of the other options in our space is that we're one of the few that offer a solution that goes all the way from the cloud to the ground, as the saying goes, people can run locally on their laptop they can run on a local server that they control. And there are SaaS options uh, from us and from some other people that they they can also use, but they have the complete 100% confidence that's the same code. It runs here, it runs there, it runs in the other place, and it's all the same. And I think that's the interesting transition that this uh, local ARM CPU option from Apple will enable. And it will, talking to what you're saying, Mike, it will also enable much more business agility because people will be able to... Uh, to get more done uh, is just a step change, another step change along that route to people being able to develop their codes, get it up and running quickly, get their new business offering out of the door that's enabled by some new technical concepts that they've implemented. What do you guys think? Is that maybe reaching too far <laughs> or is it realistic?
1: No, I, I agree. I, I think you're, I think you're spot on. I think we're going to see it's just the beginning. It's, it's, it's not the end and it's uh you know, it's it's going to affect everybody. NVIDIA, they're next. Um, so yeah, the markets have changed. And to Mike's point, I think what is driving this is these compressed timelines. Again, you can't swing and miss. There's no time for that. Uh, you have to be able to to come out of the gate and uh, cost is a piece of this. And I think, you know, Dominic, you keep saying power. You're right. Power is huge. Sustainability. And that's a whole different discussion. We can talk about that another time. There's a
0: whole green cloud conversation to have. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. We're talking about carbon neutral cloud and people talking about uh, being able to do supply chain sustainability as well to say, okay, this managed service was green for me because I'm not paying an electricity bill, but what is it running on? What type of fuel powers the infrastructure that it runs on? And so people are starting to think about how do we track that
1: end to end. Exactly right. Uh, This is a good topic for for later on, maybe another podcast. We can talk about 5G, power there, iPhones, how the chips play into that. We can talk about uh, sustainability, silicon photonics, how we need to remove the wire, how we need to remove electronic components, which are now the choke point. But these are good topics. Um, I don't know if Mike has any thoughts.
2: No, I think you're absolutely right. But I I think part of it is you're looking at it from, I don't know how to say this, but from a, a software company, I think when some companies think of sustainability, they're thinking about their ground product, and some of them, their ground product is not really the technology. So I don't know that some of it... Uh, that all companies or all enterprise will look at it from the same way that you guys are are looking at it because they'll care about more about the sustainability of their product rather than the backlink infrastructure that they're using today to achieve making that product, right? Um, and I, I think the problem is that some companies, let's say manufacturing other places, don't see it quite as part of the supply chain just yet. I think it will change, but I think we're still a bit away from that kind of, uh, green, uh, a green kind of data center center heading there. So I, I think that's a bit different. I mean, I'm sure the, the Microsofts, the Amazons, the Googles, they're focused on it because that's their core business. Uh, but I don't know that everybody is. I, I don't know if you guys agree or, or disagree or see it any differently there.
1: Yeah, when I think of power I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I think of drones for example. I mean, we can't keep them in the air that long because of power consumption. I think of you're never going to get to a you know, class 5 autonomous vehicle without, you know, addressing the power. And then I think globally at a macro level everybody, you know, that is really focused on on this uh sustainability outside of even IT. So yeah, I, I hear what you're saying Mike and I also think that, you know, the business is probably consuming that, but at, in the end whether it's a cloud provider or whoever it is that drone provider uh, for them, it's uh, it's pretty powerful. I guarantee you that uh, Amazon is uh, you know is, is is excited about any kind of power savings, so those drones can fly for you know an hour, an hour and a half, and not fifteen, twenty minutes.
0: Yeah, and also for their data center, and Amazon's power bill is immense, and they're very careful to site their data centers in places where there's hydropower or where they can take advantage of natural cooling, all of these types of things. But there's only so far that will get you. At some point, you also have to open a data center close to where people live and a lot of people live where it's really hot and there isn't hydro, there isn't anything else. Um, Definitely solar power can help, but that only works famously during the daytime and you have to figure out how to power your data centers 24 seven. So there there are all sorts of considerations there, but I can tell you that companies are starting to pay attention to it. Uh, We operate a managed service and we're starting to be questioned about the sustainability, so that certification process that I was alluding to earlier, uh, we're being asked to uh, shed some light on the sustainability of the infrastructure behind the managed service. And most of that isn't ours, it runs on the big three, AWS, Azure and GCP. Uh, And so then we have to go back to them and we have to say, so hey, if we spin up a machine in this availability zone, what kind of certification visibility can you give to me? And for right now, there isn't really a good industry-wide option uh, but the demand is certainly there and growing, and uh, perhaps some legislators will step in, uh, or some industry consortium will step in, and we'll get some sort of labeling process, something like that, uh, that uh, we can apply.
2: Dominic, do you see that being different per zone? I mean, do you see like there, um, like depending what zone you're in, the sustainability changes, or is it the same throughout? Do they do they differentiate any of that? If if you've done any of that, uh, looking around at any of the major players.
0: Do you know this? So I don't deal with that directly. Uh, so this is all anecdotal. I don't really have a breakdown, but it's something I can uh, maybe look into. I can talk to the teams who run that, and maybe we can do, as Zach said, we can do a later follow up uh, on this and talk about, you know, uh, how the the major providers deal with it, uh, which sectors are demanding this sort of thing, whether there's a regional difference, is it something that uh, European companies care care about more than companies in other regions?
2: Yeah, I would imagine there's a bit of an east versus west kind of difference there, but I, I you know, I could be, I, I, could be wrong, right? So I, I just was curious in that aspect.
0: Yeah. I mean, famously, the UK uh, during the coronavirus lockdown went over two months without burning any coal, which is the uh, the longest since the Industrial Revolution since they started burning coal. As uh, some of the power consumption was down, and they had some good wind and uh, uh, solar and everything. Uh, coming through. And so the entire national grid uh, was able to get by without relying on any of the coal-fired plants that they still have. And But that's the sort of concern that is, is big in the UK and in uh, certain parts of Western Europe, let's say, uh, and not so much in other regions of the world that are still going ahead and even building new coal-fired power plants. So definitely still big differences.
2: So where do we see those data centers going? I mean, how, how do they, I mean, like, let, let's look at the Apple announcement and then play it into into the cloud data centers. I mean, where do they go from here? I mean, are we going to see a total change in, in what they what they have today versus what they're going to have tomorrow? How they look like, uh, how they how they operate is it is it going to be a monumental shift? Because it could be kind of a you know, there there could be kind of a a ribbon here that maybe people aren't seeing, and it's it's going to shift completely. I mean, does it does it even matter? Does it
1: not? I. I... I think um, I, I think you are onto something, Mike. So we, we talk about cloud and what's going on, and they're all they've been battling for the edge for two years. Uh, you look at AWS; it's, it feels like every every month there's a new product out there that's related to the edge. And so, we, you know, I think when you think about ARM, you think about IoT and the power consumption and things like that. I, I think their business model has changed uh, tremendously, right? So, you know, what does that mean? I think um, for them, it's you know it's substantial. In some of these locations, you, you can't you know you can't put in. You know, there's not a lot of power, right? So, I think we have to think about where is the cloud data center. I mean, of course, they have their traditional mega data centers, no doubt about that. But also, some of that is now dripping out into the edge, and not even the enterprise edge. It's service provider edge. There's a battle there. I mean, uh, Satya's um, done a great job, by the way, with some recent acquisitions. And I feel like I mention them every week. But uh, in AWS is fighting out there at the service provider edge with their Wavelength product, and you know everybody's kind of fighting out there. So. I think, Mike, you're onto something that what it means for them is, you know, their r and their product development. And um, that's how I think it ties in. Dominic?
0: Yeah, I agree. And so this goes back to something, as I said in a previous episode, about micro data centers that are out towards the network edge that's as close as possible to consumption. The anecdote I was referring to was um, a friend of a friend in my hometown, which is only 100,000 inhabitants opened a new data center last year. What? How? Why? Uh, Why would you do such a thing? It seems so against the the times. But he's acting as a local point of presence for Netflix and other content distribution networks like that. And he's doing very well, and he has a growing business. And I think that's one place where new lower power consumption chips will enable that process to go even further out into even rural areas. You could imagine something that just uh, clamps to a, uh, a phone mast or something like that, and it has the local download cache for for the immediate area for Amazon Prime and Netflix and such like
1: yeah, you know Dominic I, what we were talking about earlier with AI with AI if you want more accuracy, you need more compute cycles right so we think about that, and this is where I think Intel missed that boat uh, you have you know so at the edge where you're running a lot of this AI, you need those extra compute cycles for more accuracy, of course, you can dial it back, you 'll lose some accuracy, but for that accuracy, you need those compute cycles. You know, um, and hardware hasn't really been keeping up. Right. So AI models are doubling every three to five months. We don't really talk about AI models, but these models are doubling every three to five months. And so, you know, uh, you know, th- these ARM chips, we talk about the power, we talk about the ability to provide that, that additional accuracy. I think that's a that's a part of this, too, that we, you know, we uh, we kind of it all ties in together.
2: So software is moving a lot faster than than the hardware is. Is is basically what what you're saying, Zach. So, in other words, the development for for hardware and, and maybe we've reached a cap of Murphy's law where you started to talk about photonics and and kind of the the bottleneck there. But are are we getting really close to that point because of AI and all the machine learning that people are are pushing out there?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's exactly right. The software is pushing it faster and faster. Uh, and this is you're exactly right, Mike. This is what happened to, with, with Apple and Intel. I mean, Apple clearly stated, and I'll have to find the article and I'll try to post it, that you know they were waiting longer and longer for Intel to come out with more and more. And and what w- w- was six months really extended to a year plus with, with Intel. And so Apple's basically had to do what they had to do a couple of years ago. And I think they're going to be better off for it. But you're exactly right. These models are doubling there's more data out there and it comes down to with basic foundational ai more accuracy more cpu cycles how do we handle the power there and uh, you're right. It's it's uh, it's it's hard for them to keep up right now. Definitely.
0: And the other aspects of this as well, as you say, it's all twined together. So in my day job, we talk a lot about big data and analytics, and a big part of that is people gathering uh, all of this data for some years now, because you couldn't afford to keep all of that data in your hot storage. You had to move it out to cold storage, and then when you need to query it, you had to go and work at it and transform it. Potentially, you had to do. CPU work, you had to dedicate coder time to translating formats and things like that. And new developments are making it much easier to ask intelligent questions of your historic data to spot trends and things like that. But that also goes and consumes uh, CPU power and resource and memory. You have to spin up a machine to do it. Uh, or extend your cluster, whatever it is. And so there's just this exploding demand that I don't think has been satisfied by uh, the CPU vendors, mainly Intel, in the way that we've become used to. So the, the law used to be, uh, you said Murphy's law, but it's actually Moore's law. I think that's a <laughs> funny ah, yeah. uh, Freudian slip there. Uh, it was 18 month cycles of transistor doubling. And that law broke down. And so we we got by for a while with uh, symmetric multiprocessing. So we had more and more cores, even if each individual core wasn't more powerful, but we had more and more cores. And so we've managed to get roughly equivalent power, but already multiprocessing is more complex on the software side. So that's a whole uh, a whole other issue. And now with the potentially broad industry-based switch to ARM, we'll maybe see that cycle start to speed back up again because the ARM chips already have higher density, lower uh, die size than the x86 chips. But it'll be an interesting time to see, and it'll be interesting to see what sort of new business cases get unlocked by the new availability, by the accelerated availability of the IT resource to deliver them.
2: You know, I, I still think from an enterprise side, one of the things we don't talk about a lot is like companies, the enterprise's ability to execute. And I think there's still a lot of enterprises out there um that have an issue executing. So I think while we look at all this, I think some people are still about, you know, still far away uh from executing on even moving to cloud or to taking advantage of some of this. And I think that's that's missed that oftentimes. Uh and I think, you know, if you if you think of Intel, they might be moving to the speed of more enterprises, whereas everybody else is moving at the speed of, you know, the latest high tech uh, a great innovating company and and AI ML so on so forth. I, I don't know if if there is a difference there, but I think there there clearly is, and I think there's, you know, just like Intel being left behind, I think there are certain companies being left behind from the enterprise side that just cannot execute execute there. And you know maybe you guys don't see it because uh you know the part you're at you're dealing with kind of the front runners there or the uh you know the bleeding edge uh players uh but i think there are a lot of enterprises being left behind in this in this whole whole game
0: yeah i mean as we always say there's always a role for mainframe uh it was just uh <laughs> earlier this year there was uh a sudden hunt for COBOL programmers to keep all COBOL systems going but uh yeah there's um uh, The need is always to satisfy some sort of uh, business requirement, user requirement. Uh, If the tech is the answer to it, then goods will be able to satisfy it that much faster. Sometimes tech won't be the answer, will only be part of the answer. And we've seen companies that put the tech first and foremost and fell flat on their faces because they'd forgotten (laughs) to make sure that they actually had some users and that they were satisfying uh, their demands and that they were doing so at a reasonable price point. Segway, just shut down this week. (laughs) Just to name one. But yeah, I think that's a good point to wind up. Uh always keep your customer in mind, always keep your user in mind. Don't just focus on the cool shiny tech toy, whether it's from Apple or from anyone else. What do you guys think?
2: I would agree 100%. I mean, it's um I mean, I think it's easy to go to the to to to, to speed ahead, but I think it's a, it's a journey for a lot of companies and that journey starts somewhere, so you you need to pick it up and get there slowly slowly.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, Mike. I'll just, um, I'll just add to that and say that, you know, the, the dynamics are changing. Uh, we talk about it, but you know, we talked about business a couple of weeks ago and I think there's a lot of software startups and other companies that are completely outside of it. And, and they're the ones that are going to help these businesses, these enterprises, uh, you know, pivot a little bit quicker, but yeah, I, I agree with you guys. Good topic. Really good. I, I look forward to, uh, some future topics around cloud. I think these are some interesting things going on here with these cloud providers. Definitely. Plenty more to talk about that.
0: Great. With that, have a great weekend. Uh, we'll be back next Friday. Uh, with any luck, my audio will be better. I've been on the road this week with my AirPods, and some people have mentioned that uh, the audio quality is not quite up to our usual standards. I'll we'll be back in my home studio next week, so your ears
2: can relax. The vacation hangover uh, ends for a lot of us. Great, Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thanks guys. Have a great one. Bye everyone. Thank you guys.